This is the What Now Podcast. I think one thing that's important is just remember, and this goes for everything, but just remember that everybody has different experiences. When somebody says something to me that I find offensive or bigoted or closed-minded or whatever, I try to remember that they just haven't experienced that yet. And so I think when it comes to having family members who are LGBTQ, I think if you don't have somebody close to you who is gay or lesbian or trans, I think you will at some point. So we're going to have to figure out how to live harmoniously and how to be kind and loving always. And that is what the Savior, that is what He taught us. That's what we're supposed to do. Those are the great commandments. This is the What Now podcast where we discuss topics surrounding cultural norms in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in an effort to create more understanding, hope, and healing for our church community. I am Mary Alice Hatch, your host. Join me as I speak with Emily Russin, who shares how she got past her own insecurity and negative attitude about having a brother who is transgender and the importance of showing unconditional love and what that should look like as a true follower of Christ. Emily shares insights on how to interact and support someone who is transgender and how to have an authentic connection with loved ones who have different orientations. Today, I am here with Emily Russin, who is the sister of a transgender sibling, and we're going to be talking about how she handled and came to terms with having a brother who is transgender. So recently, a good friend of mine sent me your church talk, where you talked in a really humble and sincere way about how you mishandled your sibling transgender identity, which I really connected with and felt inspired to reach out to you for an interview. So here we are. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Welcome, Emily. I'm so glad you're joining us today. Well, thanks. It's a little bit overwhelming and I feel nicely inadequate and humble to be here. So I think that's good. Well, it's interesting because I've interviewed several gay men and I've interviewed a life coach who counsels LGBTQ. I've done it from a lot of angles here, but I've never interviewed someone about who had a transgender sibling or who was transgender. And to be honest, I didn't really understand what that was until I listened to your talk. So can you define what transgender is for those listening who don't know what that term really means? Yeah, for sure. I totally can. I just want to say as a disclaimer, because I'm not transgender myself, I don't know what it's like to be that. And so I'm going to be really careful to try not not to put words in other people's mouths or to not share what their experience was like too much because I don't really know. I can only share my experience and what it's like. Well, how is transgender different than being gay? Yeah, so I've learned a lot because of my brother. So here is the simple way of defining what transgender is and how it's different from being gay because they're often lumped together. You know, the acronym LGBT, they're all kind of like put together, but Being transgender is when somebody identifies as a gender that is different from what they were assigned with at birth. So if you were assigned female at birth, but you inherently feel male, then you are transgender. Interesting. Once you've transitioned. And then being gay is different. Well, here's where it can get a little complicated. There is gender identity, which is what transgender people are dealing with. And there's also sexual attraction, which is what gay and lesbian people deal with and bisexual people. So that's where it can get confusing because there are two separate things. It's 
really different worlds, but they often just get lumped together. Does that answer that question? How yeah, being gay yeah, is different yeah, is, is a man being sexually or romantically attracted to another man. But being transgender doesn't necessarily mean you are attracted to the other gender. You could be transgender, but also gay. You could be transgender and straight. There are lots of variations and different combinations. And so everybody's really different. That's interesting. I mean, did you ever feel that something was different about your brother when you were growing up? I mean, you grew up as sisters, and now one of your sisters is a brother. Yeah, I like this question because I can reflect back on how naive and innocent little young Emily was. Bless her little heart. <laughs> it's kind of funny to look at little breadcrumbs that were placed along the way and how I would just like pick them up and <laughs> discard them just because I didn't really know. There were lots of little things. Like I remember my brother was always kind of a tomboy, but so was I. So that was kind of easy to write off. And he liked to wear big baggy clothes and stuff. Didn't ever really show off his figure or anything. But that was the 90s. That was like grunge was kind of in fashion. And so that was easy to write off too. And so there were just lots of little things that maybe made him different. But to me, it was just that's who he was. It was just normal. I remember one experience where I was probably 11 and I was playing kind of like hide and seek, but my brother wasn't actively playing with me. I was more just like sneaking up and scaring him. And he had a friend over and I saw them kiss and they were both girls at the time. And I just kind of thought, oh, well, I guess sometimes friends just kiss each other. They're just best friends. Like I saw that happen, but it was still just easy for me to write off and deny, deny, deny. I remember also with him watching Ellen DeGeneres's sitcom before she had a talk show. She was on oh, yeah, primetime I remember TV. That. Yeah, she was a sitcom star. She's a comedian. And she on the bookstore or something. Something like that. I don't even remember. Yeah. I was so young. But I remember watching the episode together where she announces that she's gay. And I remember the look on my brother's face, just like how happy he was and like cheering and laughing and just like this gleeful smile. And I was like, yeah, Ellen's so funny too. But it didn't mean what it meant to him. It meant something different to me. It was just a funny TV show. But to him, it was just like this recognition of seeing somebody in the media that he identified with was like such a huge moment for him and really meaningful. But for me, it was nothing. So there were lots of little things and clues, but I think it was a little bit of my own naivete or just ignorance. It didn't register <laughs> for a really long time, which is funny now. I think it's funny. Well, that's interesting because you were young, right? I mean, when these things were happening, how old were you? Yeah, so I'm the youngest of four, and my brother's almost seven years older than me, and he's the next sibling up. So I was like the bonus child at the end. So it, that kind of plays a role, too, in my experience is just that I was the youngest. I was kind of left out of a lot of family conversations or grown-up conversations, I would say. So I was kind of like the last to know about everything and last to be told about everything. So when those moments were happening, 10, 11, 12, 13, he was a senior high school or already off in college and stuff when these things were ramping up and I was starting to notice something was different, but still not enough to have it register with me. Yeah. I mean, how old were you when he shared his experience with being transgender? So I remember him first saying that I'm gay. And so for many, many years, 
I just had a sister who was gay. That was our story. And I was 17 when he first shared that with me. And it was kind of like an accidental conversation. I overheard my dad talking to him on the phone. And and that's kind of how I found out. And then I think my parents realized, oh, Emily heard about this. So we finally need to say something to her. Yeah. <laughs> and so I remember him saying like, you know, I'm gay, right? And I said, yeah, I know. Because it finally it was like, okay, all of these things that I had been denying for so many years, it's real and it's here. And and that's just how it is. And so I was 17 when that happened. But then when he finally said that I'm transgender, I never really had a conversation with him about that. But I do remember there wasn't like a coming out moment per se. I do remember being probably 21, 22-ish. And my other sister saying that she tried to call looking for him at the place where he worked. And she asked for him by his name, his birth name. In the trans community, they actually call it a dead name. So she was asking for him by his dead name. And they said, we don't know who that is because he had already transitioned into this other life without at least me knowing. I didn't really know about that. I think my parents were aware at the time. It was quite some years later where he transitioned and fully embraced being transgender. A lot of it was just he didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't know that it was a thing. The internet back then didn't really have a lot of information about that. And even like therapists and counselors and stuff, there just weren't a ton of resources. So I think he was probably, I would say, mid to late 20s before he finally found his identity and what he is as being transgender. How did you initially respond? Because in your church talk, you were saying like you didn't really respond that great. Yeah, I just, how I responded was I kind of just ignored it. I didn't really have a response. I really didn't want to inconvenience myself and do any research about it. I've since changed and I know a lot more about it just in the last handful of years, but I still used the pronouns that I felt comfortable with, which was she and her, and I would still use his dead name, and I would still say sister, and I wish that I could take that back and that I would have been more aware of how harmful that can be to many members of the trans community. Just those simple words can really impact them in a negative way, and I was totally oblivious to that just because I didn't want to have uncomfortable conversations. I didn't want to stretch myself and even really think about it. So I just ignored it. I also didn't really feel comfortable explaining it to people because nobody really knew what that was. And so I don't know how many years I would just tell people if they asked that I had a sister who was gay. That seemed like an easier explanation. Everybody kind of knew what that was. But then Very few times I would go past that and say, well, actually, and I would still say it wrong. I'd say she's transgender, which I should have said he is transgender, but I still wasn't used to saying male pronouns yet. So it took a really long time for me to to figure it all out. Yeah, that's tricky. I mean, sometimes do you think it's our own insecurities that drive those negative behaviors and intolerance? Oh, absolutely. For sure. For me, I was very insecure about it and very sensitive about it. And I really thought that It's silly now, but I felt like my family was the only one going through this and that nobody else was experiencing this. And so 
nobody would understand or would relate. So I just kind of kept it like it was this big shameful secret. I was, I was very insecure about it, which is, it's interesting to look back on. Maybe internalize it. Like what if my friends find out and they think this is weird or what oh, if yeah. association transfers to me? Yes, yeah. for sure. And even like I was younger and so I was dating people and I thought, I remember having the thought like if whoever I'm going to marry, they're going to have to be okay with this because I'm going to have to be open about it eventually or their family is going to be okay with this. And yeah, yeah, I was just in a different place than my older sisters because they were already fully adults and married and some even had kids and stuff. So they were in a different headspace than I was. So I was really insecure with my peers and stuff about it. Mm -hmm. I remember I had one friend at BYU that he would talk about his family and he was so open and he'd say, I have one brother that does this and then my other brother does this and then my other brother, he's gay and he does this and he made it just so normal, which this was probably like 2005, 2006. And it was like mind blowing to me that he was just so confident about that he had a brother who was gay because we were at BYU and Provo and I hadn't really heard anybody say it that it was just not a big deal. But to mm -hmm. me, that was a big deal. And I remember just being so impressed and blown away by how comfortable he was. And I wish that I could be that, but it took me a long, really long time to get there. Well, especially being at BYU back then, that's kind of progressive. Yeah, totally. Right? I yep. mean, to like kind of put it up there, BYU, where that's definitely not the culture. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Back then, right? 17 years ago is not as accepting as it is now. Yeah, it's totally different. It's different times now. Yeah, for sure. It's tricky because like in our church culture, gender is a difficult topic because of our deep doctrine around our gender identity and that we're children of God. I mean, did this knowledge make it even harder for you to support your brother? I don't remember having a conscious conversation with myself in my mind because of what I believe I cannot accept my brother. I don't really feel like the church played a role actively in my mind. But at the same time, because of how I was raised and, and this religion, it's part of me. It's part of all of me interwoven into who I am. So I think subconsciously, it absolutely played a role, whether I realized it or not. So I appreciate being able to look back and think of the different ways that it did. The church and its doctrine for my family is an analogy I like to use is it's kind of like the sky. Like sometimes it's blue skies and nice sunny days and butterflies and rainbows or whatever. And other times there are storms looming <laughs> over my family or full on hurricanes. My parents and my brother, they all lived in Northern California during Prop 8 when that was happening. That was back in 2007, 2008. And maybe it's 2008, 2009, but that was a really big storm that hit my family. And it was really hard because from what I hear, it was talked about every Sunday at church for like six months. It was just like hammered down on the members. Like, this is what we have to go promote this and go picketing around your neighborhoods and put up signs in your yard. And Prop 8 is for marriage. It was the act protecting families and marriage is what they said, marriage between a man and a woman, for those that don't know what Prop 8 was. So that was really hard for certain members of my family to feel like their church community that they had, that they were close to and that they loved, they kind of felt, they took it very personally. People were 
picketing against them. So it's interesting yeah. that this law that many said were to protect the institution of the family was simultaneously really, really hurting my family. And so that was a really big storm that we weathered and that um, some members of my family are still recovering from that one. Like we came out tattered and worn after that. So it can be really hard. The policy change that happened end of 2015 was another big storm that hit my family. And that was like a swirling green, scary mass in the sky. That was really hard. And what I regret about that is that I didn't have enough empathy and I didn't have enough understanding that I needed to just listen about how my brother felt about it. I was really quick to try to find some silver linings or try to find something good with it and defend the church and its policies. And I regret that I wish I would have just closed my mouth and listened and heard how it affected him and how he felt about it. And so that is a lesson that I will take with me the rest of my life. I still need to work on that for sure. Everybody does. But that was another thing that was really hard for my family. So I understand these doctrines and I respect the people that believe them so consistently and they have such conviction. I really respect that. And these doctrines are very black and white for so many people, but they're really hard for a lot of others. And so if you have somebody who's LGBTQ in your family or you are yourself, these can be really hard. And I understand that and honor that. So yeah, it can be really, really tricky. That is tricky. Because if you're a traditional family, yes, that all applies. But if you have, you know, gay, transgender, and all these different elements, that can be really tough. Yeah, you know, for sure. To embrace that. And really what I have learned is that my testimony ebbs and flows. And I think that's okay. And sometimes I feel like I know everything and I'm solid, I'm good. And other times I feel like I'm not so sure about that. And I have questions. And I think that's okay. I think what's really important is that we hold on to faith. So many scriptures, so many prophets really talk about how important faith is. And what is faith? Faith is not a perfect knowledge. Faith is something that's hoped for. And so I fill in the cracks of my testimony with faith. And I have learned to understand and be comfortable with that I may not know or understand everything. And I hope that I will one day, but in the meantime, I imagine like faith as being the grout that is holding everything together. And so I focus on that and I cling to the things that I do know. I had a really sacred, amazing experience a couple years ago. I got really sick. My appendix <laughs> ruptured and I didn't know it for like a week and a half. And I was like literally two steps away from going septic and being dead. So my family was praying on my behalf and my brother said a really specific prayer for me and he told me about it and that prayer was answered in a really specific way. So I know that Heavenly Father heard his prayer. Even though my brother doesn't go to church anymore, he was still very spiritual and I cling to that because I know Heavenly Father values him as a person, as a child of God and answered his prayer for me and that is a really amazing experience that I think changed my life and my faith. And I am so grateful that miracles can still happen. And that's a beautiful story. I'm so glad you shared that because, I mean, it's really important for people to understand this transgender gay 
situation for members of the church and what a challenge that is. I mean, how should we respond and interact with someone who is transgender? Because so many people don't understand it, and then they can appear intolerant because they don't know what to say, and they don't want to say the wrong thing, so they kind of right. ignore the yeah. whole situation and make it even more awkward. Yeah, and then they feel bad, and yeah, yeah. and then it can be a cycle. I think we probably interact with transgender people and we don't even realize it. <laughs> I think they're just normal people. I think you should just interact with them. It's like almost like saying, how do you treat somebody who has freckles? You know, they're just people. But on the other hand, it can be tricky if somebody who you didn't know was transgender, just, you know, they're just freshly coming out or you're just finding out about it or whatever. So that's a different situation. I feel like Probably the most important thing is to be respectful be respectful of their new name and their new pronouns. And the church is in support of that. On their website, they have a section about transgender people. And, and that's one of the things that they say. If somebody says, call me Michael or whatever, that's what you should call them. It can be hard and you will for sure stumble, especially if it's somebody that you've known for a long time as a different name or as a different pronoun. You will mess up. But I think for the most part, so many transgender people are really patient and kind. And if they see that you're trying and making an effort, I think that goes such a long way. And also your intention behind it. Are you saying it because you just forgot and goofed up or are you saying it to be malicious? And of course, our savior wouldn't want us to be malicious to anybody. So I would say that's probably the most important thing to remember is try to remember their chosen names and pronouns. That would be a really, that's a really important tip. Mm -hmm. That's good. So how are you able to connect with your brother now in a way that feels authentic and loving to you? Since you grew up with a sister and you have these memories of being with a sister and now yeah. you have a brother. And that was probably my biggest hang up is that I was just thinking about myself. It was my identity as being the youngest of four girls and it was my identity of having all sisters. But my identity has very little to do with my brother and his happiness and his joy and stuff. So I had to really stop thinking about myself. But we have a really close relationship. And he's really, he's a wonderful, wonderful person. And he's married and has two kids. And so we talk about what it's like to be raising small kids together. And we send each other funny memes and stuff. We are just brother and sister. And it just feels normal. And it feels really good. And I'm, I'm so grateful that he was so patient with me and the rest of our family. It took us a really long time to get there, but we made it. And of course, still have a lot more to learn and we're always going to be progressing, but we're in a really, really good spot. And I love him so much. So your church talk has started a conversation about transgender identity. You know, it's been shared by hundreds of people on YouTube who want to understand this topic better. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I was really not expecting the response that I got for my talk. I thought I knew that this is what I wanted to speak about in my sacrament meeting, but I wasn't expecting such a huge response. And yeah, it's been shared so many times because everybody that I shared it with, they had one or two people in mind that they knew needed to hear this message also. And so I realized like this thing about my family that I thought was just me. It turns out that it affects so many other people than I knew about or imagined. And I knew that, but it just like felt different because it was people in my own neighborhood or in my own ward. 
and they started to open up to me about their own experiences. And another thing that about my talk was that it seemed to really resonate with people all across the board, active members, ex-members, people who know somebody who's LGBTQ, or they are themselves like, connected with everybody somehow. And what this tells me is that people want to talk about this and that they're ready right now. And I feel like if I gave this talk a couple years ago, even maybe five years ago, the response would have been different. But like now it's just I open. I think you're now. right. I think you're right because people are more open to the conversation. There's been so much visibility around LGBTQ just even the last two to three years. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So how can we create a safe space in our ward communities to kind of facilitate more open discussion around the LGBTQ experience for those who are LGBTQ and their families? Yeah, I've been thinking about this. I mean, I never thought that me sharing my message in sacrament meeting would lead to me speaking on a podcast, you know, like you have no idea where sharing your experiences is going to go. But I have a couple ideas for how we can make little small changes in our own wards and within our own little communities and cultures, just to keep this conversation going. So one idea I have it's pretty simple, but just being more open and vulnerable and talking about it, talking about your own experiences. And some people may feel uncomfortable with that, but in general conference, our church leaders are talking about LGBTQ topics and issues. And so why aren't we doing that at a ward level also? And if people need a way to get the conversation started, feel free to share my talk. You can Find it on YouTube. If you look up Emily Resson, Christlike Charity and Love, it will pop up. And I'm not trying to get likes or followers or whatever. Like I'm kind of like a dinosaur when it comes to social media. So that's not why I'm saying it. But it's a good, I feel like it's a good gateway piece to get people to share their own experiences or to just get the message out there that we can learn to love each other unconditionally. Another thought I had is if you know someone in your ward council or in your stake presidency, you could do a special like fifth Sunday lesson that it's about LGBTQ topics or issues or how can we better minister to them or fellowship them or whatever it may be. That could be a topic for an adult session of state conference. You could even do for like a fifth Sunday lesson, you could do like a Q&A panel and have maybe people in your ward, if they're willing to share their experiences, ask maybe some of the most commonly asked questions like, what do I say or not say if someone in my family comes out to me? Things like that, where people in your ward can share their experiences. I was open and honest with people that first shared with me. And so I feel like being open and vulnerable can be really hard, but I felt so alone for so long. And so it doesn't have to be that way. Another thing is maybe some wards are not ready for this. Maybe that is too progressive of a step. Maybe that's a big leap to talk about that. But maybe a, like, a little baby step is first talking about mental illness and have a QPR training lesson. Do you know what those are, Mary Alice? Have you heard of those? No. What is that? Okay. So QPR is kind of like what CPR is to help resuscitate somebody who can't breathe or is drowning or whatever, or their heart stops. QPR is for people who struggle mentally or emotionally, and are suicidal. So Q stands for question, P stands for persuade, R is for refer. And there are QPR trainings, fire stations or public libraries or 
I believe most of them are free too. You can just go and learn the science of how to tell somebody is in distress and what the simple steps are that you can do to help them avoid suicide. So it's a really cool thing. And there are people in our church community that have made these trainings, but they're geared special with a gospel twist to them. And so they even have them so that it fits perfectly in that second block of church. So you can find somebody, I'm sure, on social media that would be willing to come to your ward and do that. Or you could even do that for like a youth, young men, young women activity or something like that. You can totally get the youth involved because I know, at least in Utah, we have a Hope Squad at all the high schools and they are helping people deal with suicidality and stuff like that. So that could be, yeah, that would be a great thing because mental illness is a huge struggle for everybody right now, but for the LGBTQ community, it is exponentially harder for them. And I mean, I'm really lucky that I still have my brother with me just because I know that it has been really hard for him. Yeah. So I, I know that it can be hard to get these conversations started in your ward, but if we look to our savior, he was the ultimate exemplar of compassion and empathy because he suffered through everything. He for sure understands what I have gone through as a little sister and the confusion that I had felt and maybe the isolation I felt. And he for sure understands the shame and the hiding and the self-loathing that my brother had gone through for so many years. And so in order for us to be more Christ-like, we have to learn to have empathy. Like that's the biggest part. And we can't have empathy without knowing people's stories. And so having empathy was ultimately the thing that got me to stop telling people that I had a sister who was a lesbian and to be open with others and myself that actually I have a brother who was transgender. Like I had to make that transition myself. And really I was just thinking about myself. And so the best way to learn empathy is to learn people's stories. And so if at church and on our wards, we can give people a safe forum to share our stories, then that's when real Christ-like love can happen. And that's when true ministering can happen. And you can't minister to somebody that you don't really know their story or where they've been through. Yeah, that's so true. So uh, just in wrapping up, is there anything else you'd like to share? Anything else you think listeners should hear? Because I think most of our listeners, they want to approach these cultural things in a better way. They want to be better. So we want to learn from these things. And that's why I interview so many people who have had these experiences, because I want our church culture to understand it better, our members to understand it better. So they can make good changes, positive changes. Yeah, there's so many resources available right now on all over social media. There are really good uplifting accounts that can help you if you have somebody in your family who's LGBTQ or or if you are yourself. There's a ton of resources, way more than I had, and I wish I had had them 20 years ago and I didn't. So take advantage of those. I think one thing that's important is just remember, and this goes for everything, but just remember that everybody has different experiences. When somebody says something to me that I find offensive or bigoted or closed-minded or whatever, I try to remember that they just haven't experienced that yet. And so I think when it comes to having family members who are LGBTQ, I think if you don't have somebody close to you who is gay or lesbian or trans, I think you will at some point. So we're going to have to figure out how to live harmoniously and how to be kind and loving always. And that is what the Savior, that is what he taught us. That's what we're supposed to do. Those are the great commandments. Exactly. I mean, 
love as the Savior did. I mean, there's a lot of emphasis in the last couple of conferences about loving God and loving your neighbor. There's a lot of emphasis in love and acceptance and kindness. Yep, absolutely. It's a good message. It's just sometimes harder to put it into practice, but practice makes perfect. You can do it. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I loved our discussion. I feel enlightened and educated by it. So thank you. Good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. If you would like to listen to Emily's church talk that started this conversation, just go to YouTube and look up, quote, Christ-like charity and love, end quote, and you will see her standing at the pulpit. Please follow us on the What Now Instagram at Podcast What Now for inspirational messages and highlights from our past and present podcasts. Positive ratings and written reviews are always appreciated. Just subscribe to the podcast and scroll down the episodes and you'll see where you can leave a positive rating and written review. I invite you to help us create positive change by sharing this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Just click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. We never say goodbye. We say what now? This has been a What Now podcast production.